Slate Plus members get early access to our podcasts about Better Call Saul immediately following the broadcast on AMC. If you're not a Slate Plus member, try out this early access for our first three podcasts. If you like it, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash Saul Plus. Lights start a blank and those handcuffs click. You know who to call and you better call quick. Saul, Saul, you better call Saul. You'll fight for your rights when your back's to the wall. Stick it to the man, justice for all. You better call Saul. Hello and welcome to Slate's TV Club podcast about Better Call Saul, the new AMC drama about the man who became Saul Goodman. I'm June Thomas, the editor of Outward Slate's LGBTQ section, and I'm here in the Slate studio with my old pal Seth Stevenson. Seth, what is it you do at Slate exactly? Uh, I'm like a senior writer or something. Oh, senior writer. Frequent, good frequent contributor will do. June, I have a question for you. What's that? Did you leave your cell phone outside the studio and have you grounded yourself? I've grounded myself, Seth. Thank you for checking. Okay, good. Yeah. Were you wanting to put a space blanket on? Cause I'm wearing a space blanket right oh, now. So you are. Sorry. I thought that was your usual outfit. <laughs> he's, he's a very snappy dresser. Um, we are today talking about episode one, the very first pilot episode of Better Call Saul. It's called Uno. Let's talk about what happens, shall we? Sure. So we start off in mm. black and white with a cold yes. open in black and white. Yes. We see a man who looks very much like Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad, except his hair is a bit thinner. He's got a mustache, and mm-hmm. he appears to be the manager of a Cinnabon in, I think, Omaha, Nebraska. I think Omaha, yes. Okay. And we see him in this black and white open. He he uh, goes home. He makes himself a drambuie. Well, before that, though, he's in. he's doing, like, he's working his butt off in the Cinnabon. He's like totally diligent, oh, totally... Yeah. He can manage my Cinnabon anytime. Yeah, he's, he's covering all of the bases. But he has a moment where he freaks out because as he's baking buns or whatever it is he's doing, he sees a guy sitting in the Cinnabon who looks young and thuggish and they kind of make eye contact and you can see Saul is sweating. He does not want to be found out. He does no. not want to be identified. He is going incognito. Indeed. And then it turns out that the kid was looking over at his girlfriend or some pals. But we get that clue that he is living in fear. He is. And then when he goes home, he makes himself a trambouille in his little sad little apartment with the snow outside, and he puts in a VHS tape of his old Better Call Saul ads. Right. And at this point, we sort of, the time frame is starting to come into focus, and I think we're to believe that this uh, black and white sequence is taking place post-Breaking Bad. Quite. Uh, but then after the show's uh, short title sequence, we're in color, and we're back in 2001, we see from a date appears at some point, and now we are back pre-Breaking Bad, and this is, in fact, a prequel. Exactly. And then we watch the adventures of, uh, not known as Saul, but rather known as Jimmy McGill. Right. He's a lawyer. He's a public defender. Uh, and we watch him go through adventures at the courthouse, defending some knuckleheads. Uh, we see him meet up with some uh, slip and fall skateboarders who are trying to run a scam on him. But then he turns the tables and tries to use them to run a scam on somebody else. Indeed he does. And then at the end of the episode, he's been following these uh, ne'er-do-well skateboarders who are trying to run a scam on someone. And, and he follows them into a home. And it, it turns out to be the home of Tuco. Tuco Salamanca. The, the heavy, the villain from Breaking Bad uh, and his uh, abuelita. Uh-huh. And uh, Saul ends up, uh, the last scene we see uh, in the episode is Tuco pointing a gun at Saul's head and dragging him into Tuco's house uh, yeah. where the skateboarders already are. Exactly. There's also a little uh, passage where um, 
We see very much that Saul is on the skids. He has no money. He is living in extremely straitened circumstances. And yet at one point he gets a check for $26,000, which he rips into tiny pieces. He then later goes to the law firm that issued the check and um, sort of fights with them about someone called Chuck, who uh, they seem to think is still working for them. He says, no, he's not, and you need to cash him out. Uh, he's a partner in the firm. So that's another kind of little conflict that they've also set up. Right, and and, and uh, Jimmy McGill, we'll call him Jimmy McGill, even though the show's called Better Call Saul, we'll right. call him Jimmy McGill. He uh, he goes to Chuck's home at one yeah. point, yeah. and Chuck, is it his brother? We don't know. I mean, I guess age-wise, it could also be his father, but he always calls him Chuck. He never calls him dad or, I mean, I guess you never call your brother brother, but... Yeah, I, um, I sort of interpret it as maybe his brother, and his brother's living in this weird off-the-grid home with no electricity, it appears, with nope. no refrigeration, nope. and he re- he requires all guests to leave their cell phones outside in the mailbox and to ground themselves electrically somehow. So exactly. doing, he has some sort of fear yep. of a- electric impulses or of cell phone radiation or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, Seth, we've described the episode in, in broad terms. Uh, let's hear a moment from it. We're going to hear a section where Jimmy is talking to the knucklehead skateboarder fraudulators, uh, and he's telling them a little bit about the history of a man called Slippin' Jimmy in Cicero, Illinois. Winters in Cicero are murder. <laughs> you guys growing up out here in the Golden West, you, you don't know, okay? I'm talking cold that'll freeze the snot right in your nose. I'm talking wind that'll cut through your jacket and carve you up like a Ginsu knife. In fact, most folks in Cicero were scared of winter, but not Jimmy. Jimmy'd wait around all summer, and when September finally rolled around, he'd feel that first cold wind come sweeping off Lake Michigan. He knew it was coming. Was it Christmas? Was it Kwanzaa? Better. It was slip and fall season. As Soon as it was cold enough, he'd find a nice, smooth patch of ice. State Street was good, Michigan Avenue was better. He'd pick his spot, wait for it to get busy, then he'd walk out on the ice, and boom! He would biff it so hard, people would come running from five blocks away. Yeah, but... Did he collect? Did he collect? Slippin' Jimmy had it dialed in. One good fall, he'd clear six, eight grand. That'd keep him in old Milwaukee and Maui Waui right through Labor Day. Eight grand? Eight grand. I see, I look at you guys, I see potential. The skateboard's a nice sprinkle. That makes it a year-round gig. Clearly, you know how to take a header, right? But I gotta ask you, your best day ever, how much did you clear? So we can talk about um, how that plays out later, but let's kind of step back a little bit first and talk about what our expectations were for this show. It's This seems like, of all of the new show, there are hundreds of shows that launch every year, but this one is particularly freighted because it is not only a spin-off from Breaking Bad, one of the most lauded, critically acclaimed shows of... Well, ever. Of, the golden, of our new golden age of television, and perhaps age. of ever, yeah. Yeah. And it's also with the full cooperation and input of the creator of Breaking Bad, Vince Gilligan. And in fact, Vince Gilligan directed and co-wrote this pilot episode. Exactly. And he's also known as one of the one of the nice guys. You know, he's not a difficult man. Um, 
And clearly this episode was full of Vince Gilligan, Breaking Bad type elements. But first of all, let's talk about our expectations. Seth, how were you? Were you amped up for this show? I didn't know exactly what to expect because it's not... um the continuing adventures of Saul after the Breaking Bad world has ended and we want to follow this character into the future and see what happens next. We're going back in time to see how he got to become the Saul we knew in Breaking Bad. So that in itself already is a little odd and I wasn't sure, well, what's that going to be? What's the, Where are we going to start from? Do we start when he's, you know, seven years old <laughs> in Cicero, Illinois? Do we start when he's in high school? Um, no, apparently we start just, it looks like a couple years or, you know, maybe five years, something like I that. I believe six years is the official. Six years before Breaking Bad begins. So we've got the six-year time frame gap to fill up to get from here to there. Right. Um, and that's going to present um, some fundamental challenges, I think, for this show because we know where this character is ending up. Yeah. This isn't like Breaking Bad where we're following a man's moral psychological journey and we don't know what's going to happen. Is he, you know, where is he going to go? Is he going to break good at some right, point? It was right. a, we know where Saul ends up. And in fact, because this show opens with uh, into the in the future with him managing a Cinnabon in, in Omaha, we know exactly where he's going to end up, not only in Breaking Bad, but even after Breaking Bad, we know where he's going to end up. So there's not right. a lot of mystery in terms of that journey. Yeah, it's like Columbo in that sense. You know, and Columbo was a procedural where you saw the crime first. So it wasn't about what happened. It was about how you got there. And, you know, this is going to be said by everyone who writes about the show or talks about the show. But Vince McGilligan very famously said that Breaking Bad was about Walter White's journey from Mr. Chips to Scarface. And it all of that suggests that Better Call Saul is all about Saul's journey. We know now where he starts, more or less, and we know where he ends up. So it's not about, as you say, what, but how, and this kind of the route to get there. And how much of a journey is that? Because we meet him here and he's a fast talking, kind of shady lawyer who seems to, uh, despite his best efforts, fall in with a shady crowd. And wasn't that wasn't that what Saul was when we met him in Breaking Bad also? Right. Although he already had his contacts uh, in that shady world. And, and, you know, again, there are elements. I think one of the big themes of this episode and really what everybody's going to be looking for is there's an, a puzzle element almost. I think that's typical, again, of Vince Gilligan productions. You know, there was even Breaking Bad had those uh, time challenges, you know, especially I can't remember what season it was, but the one uh, where, spoiler alert, it turns out there was a... Um, uh, a plane crash, but all through that season, we kept having flash forwards that we didn't know what they were. It was eventually filled in. And so that's a typical kind of leitmotif or a typical style of Gilligan. And it seems like, you know, it's just like, hey, I'm going to give you that again. So it's almost like a reassurance that if you liked Breaking Bad, there's a good chance you'll like uh, Better Call Saul. But yes, does that mean it's going to be a procedural more than Breaking Bad was? Um, certainly, if you have a lawyer and you've got an hour-long show, you probably are going to have some cases. It lends itself to that. And maybe it will be one of these things where we've got one big overarching 
season-long or series-long plot that he's trying to get from here to there. And then within each hour, there's a, a more contained one-hour story, procedural-type story that we'll tell. It might fall, it might break down along those lines. And then we've got the ongoing human relationships, of course, with the character, which is going to be Chuck. It's going to be maybe this law firm. And then we have already met Mike from Breaking right. Bad, sort of a, a fun little Easter egg. Yeah. And there hasn't He hasn't done too much yet, but it's a fun little yeah. Easter egg for Breaking Bad fans. There's Mike, the parking lot attendant. And how is Mike going to go from parking lot attendant to, you know, indomitable badass? Right. That's And yeah, that was super interesting because Mike Ehrmantraut was a hugely popular character in Breaking Bad. Uh, in a way that, like, people might have enjoyed Tuco, but he wasn't someone you could possibly like. He was a crazy, crazy, violent, horrific guy. June, he loves his abuelita. Though. He loves his abuelita, and that is very sweet. Um, but as we've seen him so far in these very tiny cameo, it seems that his role is to torture Saul. Later we know that he is one of Saul's kind of mentors almost. Um, now we're seeing, and later... In Breaking Bad, Saul became like the teacher of Walt and Jesse. And in a way, there was a little presentiment of that this time where he kind of mentored the knuckleheads. There are other parallels to Breaking Bad that I noticed. For instance, this episode opens with someone manipulating. We see someone pouring some powder on something, it looks like, kind of mashing something out. And it looks like those scenes you remember from Breaking Bad where they're cooking up the meth. Right. And we open up, and it turns out what they're cooking is Cinnabon rolls. And that reminded me a lot of Breaking Bad openings where you see someone doing some careful procedural activity, except this time it turns out to be the most harmless, most bourgeois thing you could ever imagine. Uh, Exactly. And, And just even that location, too. I mean... One of the things that Breaking Bad was so effective at was making every place look scary. Yes, sometimes they went out into the the desert, I guess it is, out in New Mexico. But this really scary places were, you know, a coffee shop where somebody might mess with your stevia container or, you know, a mall or a chicken store. And so, again, it's that kind of making very quotidian, very ordinary places scary that also felt quite Breaking Bad-ish. And I will note that Mm -hmm. much as Breaking Bad had the Pontiac Aztec as its iconic, bizarre, almost nearly forgotten car that we now associate only with Breaking Bad, I think, um, the Suzuki Esteem Esteem, made a surprise appearance. I had not thought about nor seen a Suzuki Esteem in quite some time. I believe it was made by Suzuki from like the mid-90s to the very early 2000s. Um, But there's Jimmy McGill battering around in his Suzuki Esteem. I have to say, I had always been a fan of the Aztec even before it made its appearance on Breaking Bad. What quirky automotive taste do you have, Jane? I know, but uh, I also have always cared for, for cars that have one door in a different color. Do you think this show is giving Breaking Bad fans what they want? Do you think people who are tuning in because they loved Breaking Bad watch this pilot episode and say, yes, this is going to be another show that I'm going to enjoy? Well, I have to say, when the spinoff was first announced, I believe I even wrote a post in Browbeat saying this is a bad idea because Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad was comedic relief. You know, just as colors pop differently depending on what background they're up against, Mm -hmm characters do the same thing and in the very serious serious you know life and death world of breaking bad Saul was just so necessary but then i thought a comedic character people from breaking bad going to go looking to show that's just about him so i was very much worried that people would go and be disappointed because they weren't getting 
anything like Breaking Bad. But I was very pleasantly surprised. I should say that this just for this one time, we've actually seen two episodes. Not typically, we'll only be having seen the episode uh, that we're talking about, but we have actually seen two. And I was pleasantly surprised. While Bob Odenkirk is just such a fine comedic actor and, and he can really, you know, we see him kind of developing that art of the speech and he's already got the gift of the gab. But he isn't, you know, a laugh machine like he was in Breaking Bad. He is going through some rough times. He's got some serious issues, none the least of which is having a gun pointed at his head. Um, and so I think it, we are in a different sort of tenor and I think the fact that you're getting those guest appearances, it will kind of, people know they're not getting Breaking Bad, but they're gonna, you know, the universe is there. And I think the puzzle element will will please people. What about you? Yeah, and I thought this pilot, it moved a little bit slow, I felt, um, but I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm willing to invest the time to let the series unfold slowly. And I will admit that um, the first few episodes of the first season of Breaking Bad, it took me a little bit yeah. to get hooked on that. But once I was hooked, gosh, was I hooked. Yeah. And there's lots of examples. It's funny, I was looking at um, examples of spinoffs. And very often when when shows do a spin-off, it's a single character who is popular for some reason, and they make a new show, and they name it after that character. Right. So Beavis and Butthead had Daria. Yeah. Um, Mary Tyler Moore show had Lou Grant and Phyllis and Rhoda. Uh, Buffy had Angel. Um, it's it's very often this one character from the show goes off into a new world, and sometimes that works for people, and sometimes that doesn't work for people. But you know, that's kind of an old-fashioned way of doing spin-offs. These days, it's a much more of a kind of franchise uh, approach, so you get the various CSIs, you get the various NCISs, and so there's a kind of a there's a, a throwback element to Better Call Saul that I think uh, a lot of people will find pleasing because I think Breaking Bad, uh, you know, the strip mall or Breaking Bad Omaha would not have been particularly pleasing to people. Speaking of Omaha, June, so mm. we saw that little framing device at the very beginning, the cold open yeah. of the show in black yeah. and white with yeah. Saul there in Omaha and the Cinnabon and his sad existence. Are we ever going to see that again? Is that going to be something that pops up where we'll see his life in Omaha? Or is that the, the only time we'll see that until maybe the show is fi finally goes off the air in a blaze of glory or perhaps gets canceled after a season and a half? Will, it, will, it, will this be the only time we see that black and white framing device? I would guess yes. But obviously, there's no way to know. But um, and you know, it, let's look at at Vince Gilligan's history. He does have a history of kind of telling wonderful. I mean, the cold opens of his shows, I think, often are, you know, they could stand alone as beautiful little short films. They're really outstanding. This one was more about the plot, more about the story than the way it was shot. But um, I can't see him kind of returning to that world regularly just because clearly he likes a puzzle. He likes to set himself challenges with time. He likes to give himself obstructions and things that make make the show just a little complicated. And, you know, he, he had that time element in Breaking Bad where everything happened over the course of two years. However many series it was, uh, it was just two years of Walter White and his family's and friends' life. This time, you know, there are other little things that he has to be careful of. And he clearly enjoys that. But bringing back post-breaking Bad Saul on the regular seems like that would be not only confusing, because I don't think he worries about that. People like that. People like working out, wait, is that? That's fun. 
But just in terms of how you just kind of explain it and, and not completely clunk up the narrative, I'm guessing we won't. What do you think? Uh, I think you're right. I think we won't until the very end of the show, until the series, whatever mm-hmm. whatever the fate of the series is, I think you're right. We won't see that black and white saw until uh, uh, until then. And the, the one other question I have about this show uh, in sort of a meta question is, we are adding to the Breaking Bad canon now. And is yeah. there a danger that we somehow despoil um, all of the Breaking Bad universe by bringing these characters like Tuco and Mike back out? Could we could we George Lucas this thing? Could we <laughs> ruin the beloved legacy of Breaking Bad? I don't think so. As, as long as they keep it to these characters that were kind of in the satellite orbit, you know, we couldn't have any of the key characters. Uh, so if if a cop came into things, it would have to be Gonzalez instead of Hank. We couldn't have any whites or I've now forgotten what Hank's last name was, but you know, we we couldn't have anyone right in the middle. We, if we ever went to a school, it would be okay if it was the school that uh, that Walt used to teach at. If we ever involved a, a software firm, it would be okay if it was gray matter, but we shouldn't ever see any of the characters that were completely core, mm-hmm. well, I would we'll, say. We'll look for those Easter, those Breaking Bad Easter eggs in this show as we go along. And I do think that will be part of the thrill. Well, June, I'm looking forward. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where this show goes, and I'm looking forward to talking with you about it. Me too. But I think that's all we have to say about this particular episode. But we do want to hear what you think about the questions we've been discussing. So please send email to podcasts at slate.com. We're really curious to hear how you think uh, they're doing. Uh, So thanks for listening to this edition of the Slate TV Club. And please join us next time when we will talk about Better Call Saul episode two. And check out our other recent TV podcasts about Downton Abbey and the Americans. Just go to iTunes and search for Slate TV Club club. Our producer is Joel Meyer. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. Bye, Seth. Bye, June. Shopping at the Walmart short just a couple of beans. There's a George Foreman grill down the back of your blue jeans. They caught you at the checkout. The blue lights blink. Only one got a call because the others all stink. Better call Saul. Better call Saul. Better call Saul. Your husband disappeared in a most convenient way. Hello, I'm Felix Salmon, and this week on Slate Money, we're going to talk about net neutrality, which is not boring. It's actually kind of interesting. So tune in, and you'll get a free burger if you do so. Disclaimer, you won't actually get a free burger, but we will tell you all about Shake Shack, which is more healthy than eating one. Find us at slate.com slash slate money.